Luke chapter 24, verse 1. Would you stand with me as we read God's Word together? Luke chapter 24, verse 1. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you and praise you for the privilege and the opportunity to come together and to worship you and your son on this important day. We thank you and praise you for his resurrection and his power over death through the forgiveness of sins. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. On this beautiful Easter Sunday morning, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In the last few weeks, we've looked at the final week of Christ's ministry here on this earth called the Passion Week. Through the eyes of the disciples, through the eyes of Judas, and today we're going to look at the Passion Week through the eyes of the angels. Now, I may be speculating a little bit, but there is much we can discern from God's Word about what the angels might have been thinking during this most important week in history. And we see them taking a direct role uh, in, the, in the Passion Week's conclusion on Resurrection Sunday. The Bible tells us that angels do not, did not always exist. God created them, but they are more ancient than we are, and they're more powerful than we are, but like us, they were created for the glory of God. In the Bible, angels served God in many ways. First, they were his messengers. Most often, they were the messengers of God, but they did more than that. They were also instruments of God's judgment. They protected God's people. And in Revelation, we see them as heavenly worshipers around the throne of God in heaven. An angel announced the birth of Samson in Judges chapter 13 and the birth of John the Baptist in Luke chapter 1 and even the birth of Christ in Luke chapter 2. In Genesis 19, they participated in the destruction and judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah. In Genesis 22, an angel wrestled with Jacob all night long. In 2 Samuel 24, an angel stretched out his hand to destroy Jerusalem and God in his mercy stopped him. In 2 Kings 19, God sent an angel to protect the Israelites, and the angel struck down 185,000 Assyrians. In fact, in the Bible, angels spoke to Hagar, Abraham, Moses, Balaam, and to the entire nation of Israel once. Angels spoke to Gideon, Elijah, Zechariah, Joseph, Mary, the shepherds, Philip, Cornelius, Peter, John, and more. They routed the Egyptian army drove out the Canaanites as God's people entered the promised land, cursed wicked cities, rescued Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and shut the mouths of lions to save Daniel, broke Peter out of prison in Acts chapter 12, and an angel appeared to Jesus while he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane to give Christ strength. I don't know if you remember that. In Revelation, angels will ride as heavenly warriors in the final battle. And in that same book, in the book of Revelation, angels play trumpets, ride horses, pour out God's wrath, and swing censers and sickles of God's judgment. And at the very end of all things, among the last words of Christ, 
in the very end of the Bible, the last chapter of Revelation, Jesus says this in Revelation 22, 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright morning star. Angels are important and their testimony is important. So I'd listen very closely to what they have to say. In our passage for today, some women came to the tomb to prepare Christ's body with spices. If you remember when he died on Friday, as soon as the sun sets, that's when they begin their new day in first century Palestine or first century Israel, excuse me. And uh, that was Sabbath or the Sabbath. And so they just didn't have time to prepare the body of Christ when he was put into the tomb. And now that Sabbath is over, Sunday morning, that this is their first opportunity to go and properly prepare his body. So they're expecting to make it to the tomb and somehow hoping to get into the tomb so that they can prepare the body. Two of uh, God's angels had the greatest job of any angel in history. The greatest job they could ever hope to receive, the pronouncement of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They appeared as bright as lightning, rolled away the stone, scared the Roman guards nearly to death, and there they spoke God's message to the women and to you and I on that day. I'm going to look in Luke chapter 24, verse 5. It says this, In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you, while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man will be delivered into the hands of sinful men, to be crucified on the third day and raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. Now, I love being outdoors right now. I, I don't know why I hear the birds singing. I know there are cars. There weren't cars at the tomb. But the birds singing and the trees blooming. And, and I just feel this sense of this moment of the resurrection of Christ. This moment of the announcement of his resurrection from the angels. The angels testified to the resurrection of Christ. And he told, they told the women two things. And we're going to look at just those two things very quickly this morning. And then we'll close. Number one, they said, don't be afraid. Now we see this actually, this directive immediately given by them in Matthew chapter 28. And that's what they said to the women. Don't be afraid, fear not. Well, why were they afraid? Well, the angels were terrifying. So the ladies were terrified. The Roman guards were terrified. And because they were terrifying to be in front of. They were shining like lightning, the Bible says, and they were, after all, angels. We would be frightened too. After all, many of you scream if you see a snake or a mouse. Imagine what you would do if you saw an angel. So they said, don't be afraid. Today, what are you afraid of? What frightens you? Bugs? Snakes? Ghosts, what are you afraid of? A virus? A vaccine? A political party? An uncertain future? An embarrassing past? A financial hardship? A failed relationship? Sin that has crippled your life? What are you afraid of? God would say, fear not, because he is with us. The women were afraid of the angels, but they also had reason to fear the Romans and the Jewish religious leaders 
that had killed Jesus. They had reasons in their mind to fear what would happen to them now that they thought that Jesus was dead. What would happen to them? They didn't know. So what are you afraid of today? Did you know that according to most recent studies, Americans' top 10 fears are as follows. I looked at a number of surveys, and they pretty much all had, with few exceptions, the same top 10 list. These are what, according to surveys, what most Americans fear the most. Number 10, darkness. Many people are afraid of the dark. Number nine, zombies. Now, I don't know, I don't know what to say. God's got to be scratching his head that the top 10 most frightening things is something that doesn't even exist. In fact, one list said instead of zombies, it said clowns. Top 10. How many clowns do you even know? <laughs> Strangers was number eight. Fear of flying is number seven. When I, whenever I go on a, on a, on a plane and, and we take off, I like to look around because uh, I enjoy flying. I, I love the takeoff, you know, the need for speed, that sudden surge of power. I love that. Well, not everybody does love that uh, because you can look around and see the terror on some people's faces the fear of flying is number seven. Number six, the fear of enclosed places, claustrophobia. Number five is the fear of blood and needles. I happen to share that one. Uh, number four, the fear of drowning. And number three, the fear of bugs and insects. The second greatest fear that Americans have is the fear of heights. And the number one fear, public speaking. <laughs> Always number one public speaking. Uh, when I came here in view of a call, I was sitting on the front row across the street at the old church that we were at. And as I was sitting there, it finally came my time to get up and preach. And there's a lot of pressure on a young preacher when he gets up to preach in view of a call, because if it doesn't go well, then the day may not go too good. And so you want that sermon to, to go over well, and so I'm sitting there thinking about it. But I was a confident young man, and I was certain it was going to go well until one of the men of the church leaned over and whispered in my ear. He said, you must be really nervous. <laughs> and then I was. <laughs> the truth is, fear can cripple our life. Time and again in the Bible, God tells us, fear not, don't be afraid. He understands how paralyzing fear can be. Fear must never stop us from moving forward in our life. It must never be allowed to keep us from fulfilling our purpose for which we were created to love God and to bring him glory through sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. So the first thing the angel said was, fear not. The second thing the angels told the women at the tomb, and, and this might surprise you, it's easy to look beyond this or not to notice. The second thing they said to the ladies was, remember, remember. In chapter 24, verse 6 of the Gospel of Luke that I read a while ago, they said this. These are the, the angels speaking. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified on the third day, and be raised again. Then they remembered his words. Wow! How could they forget that? You know, it's not like Jesus just nonchalantly on the side one day said, hey, by the way, I'm going to die a terrible death, 
and be in the tomb for three days and come back to life, you would think they would remember something like that, wouldn't you? But they actually forgot. And it maybe was the trauma of the event, the tragedy of the event. But for whatever reason, it literally slipped their mind that Jesus had already told them this was going to happen and he was going to come back to life. Well, sometimes we, imp- we, we forget important things too. Did you know that scientific research on forgetting shows that when people are given information within one hour, they forget 50% of it. If somebody tells you something or a preacher shares something with you, statistically, within one hour, you've forgotten half of it. Within 24 hours, you forget 70% of it. And within a week, we forget 90% of what we've been told or what we've heard. So a week, within a week, you've forgotten 90%. So if I preach the same sermon every Sunday for 10 weeks in a row, you should remember the whole sermon. (laughs) By the way, this is the pot calling the kettle black. It's an ongoing joke here at the church. Your pastor can't remember anything. I forget the name of my own family. I, <laughs> and so we just forget things, do we not? So I, I, I know I'm sounding all judgy to these women here. How could they forget that? But we forget things all the time. Another recent article said, historically, studies have equated forgetfulness with old age. See, when I was young, I was just absent-minded, and now at 57, I'm about to turn 57, uh, people particularly related to me uh, attribute everything I forget to old age. Uh, When someone misplaces something like a car uh, or car keys, people generally refer to it as having what? A senior moment, a senior moment. And there may be a point in your life where your whole life is just a senior moment, I don't know. But believe it or not, a new survey tells a different story. A trending national, it's true, a trending national poll finds that millennials age 18 to 34 are in fact far more likely than those 55 or older to forget a number of things. Number one, they are more likely to forget what day it is. 15% of millennials versus 70%, excuse me, versus 7% of the elderly. In other words, According to this survey, 15% of millennials can't tell you what day it is. (laughs) I find that interesting. Um, uh, uh, Where they put their car keys, 14% of millennials versus 8% of the elderly. uh, Those who forget to bring their lunch, 9% versus 3% of, of senior adults. Senior adults don't miss a meal. They don't forget that. Or even to take a bath or a shower, 6% of millennials versus 2% of senior adults. So 6%, 6% of millennials today forgot to take a bath. <laughs> but there are some things you must not forget. You don't want to forget your anniversary, again. You don't want to forget your spouse's birthday, again. You don't want to forget your kid's birthday, or the deadline for paying your taxes, some things you don't want to forget. And you must not forget salvation offered through the blood of Jesus Christ in his resurrection from the dead. You see, the angels didn't forget. They remember everything. 
The angels remembered the prophecy of a new covenant in Jeremiah 600 years before the birth of Christ. In Jeremiah 31, 31, it says, The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. The angels remembered the prophecy of the virgin birth in Isaiah 7, 14, that says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. The angels remembered the prophecy of the crucifixion in Psalm chapter 22, a thousand years before the crucifixion of Christ. Psalm 22, 16 says this, Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men has encircled me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. That prophecy, a thousand years, the angels remembered that. They remembered the prophecy of the death of Christ for our sins in Isaiah 53. Uh, verse 3 says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom the men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Again, that was hundreds of years before the birth of Christ. The angels remembered that prophecy. They remembered the prophecy of the resurrection. Did you know not only the crucifixion was prophesied in the Old Testament, but the resurrection of Christ was prophesied as well. Isaiah 53.10 says, Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Listen to what it says in verse 11. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life. And be satisfied. So we must remember today that Christ's mission in this world was to die on the cross for our sins and be resurrected in three days. And the trauma of the crucifixion and the fear of all that happened, the women at the tomb had forgotten that Christ had already told them what was going to happen. Now, I also find it interesting that once the angels told them, they immediately remembered, oh, that's right. I remember that. How could I have forgotten that? And not only had one of them forgotten it, but all of them have forgotten it. And suddenly they remembered. Do you forget about the death of Christ for your sins? Do you forget about the power of the resurrection? Do you forget about the hope of eternal life that we have in Christ Jesus? Remember what God has done for you. I remember, I remember that God loves you in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. I remember that Romans 3, 23 tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that you and I are separated from God because of the sin that's in our life, but God loves us and does not want us to be separated from him. I remember that six, Romans 6.23 says and tells us the results of sin in our life is always death. 
For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. I remember Romans 5.8 that says, but God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I remember Romans 10.9 that tells us exactly what we need to do to be saved so you don't have to wonder and guess. If you want to accept the free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ, it tells us, but if you confess with your mouth, it says, that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. He simply says if you do these two things, not easy, but it is simple. He says if you confess Christ is your Lord, you have to come to this moment in your life where you turn your life over to God. You turn your life over to Christ. He becomes your Lord, and you do what he tells you to do. You submit to his leadership in life. You become his servant. It also says, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, even though I wasn't there, on this beautiful Easter Sunday morning, I'm, remember, I'm reminded, and I remember, and I believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Do you believe that Jesus was resurrected from the dead? Do you believe that Jesus was resurrected from the dead? That's one of the two requirements for salvation. You have to submit yourself and surrender to his lordship and be willing to confess him and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. He says, if you do those two things, you will be saved. What a powerful promise that we remember this Easter. I remember that famous hymn by Philip Bliss. It's my favorite hymn, by the way. It says this, Man of Sorrows, what a name. For the Son of God who came, ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Bearing shame and scoffing rude, in my place condemned he stood, sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Guilty, helpless, lost were we, spotless Lamb of God was he. Sacrifice to set us free. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Lifted up was he to die. It is finished was his cry. Now in heaven exalted I. Hallelujah, what a Savior. When he comes, our glorious King, all his ransomed home to bring. Then anew this song we'll sing. Hallelujah, what a Savior. So I challenge you this Easter Sunday morning. Don't be afraid of whatever life throws at you in this world, in this nation, in this town, in your family, and in your life. Because God is in control, and Jesus loves you and offers forgiveness and salvation for your sins. And remember always what Christ did for you on the cross and had power over death. This Easter, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Pray with me. Father, we come to you today and we want to say thank you. We didn't, for, we, didn't, we didn't deserve it, but you gave your son as a gift to us because you loved us that much and love us still. That you don't desire for any one of us to be dying in our sins, to be struggling in our sin every day. You want to liberate us from that. Forgive us for that. There's not a single thing that anyone here, including myself, have ever said or done or thought for which you will not forgive through the blood of Christ. 
We understand, Lord, that there are consequences for our sin. Just, in our just, just as in our justice system, when we break the law, there are consequences. When we break your law, there are consequences. And the Bible tells us the consequence of our sin is death. Not just in this world, but in the life to come. Eternally, there is death for us. But you don't want us to die in our sin. Because you love us. And in your compassion, you sent your one and only Son, a part of you, to die on the cross in our place for our sins. Thank you. Father, I pray that someone would repeat this prayer with me today, and today would be the day of their salvation. If they'll pray this with sincerity in their heart, and they'll mean it, a moment of true surrender, not just words, there's no incantation. There's no sentence that will save us. It has to be sincere in our heart, a vow, a surrender. And we pray there would be someone here today that would pray this in their heart. Dear Lord Jesus, I confess that I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. I believe in faith that Jesus died for me on the cross in my place for my sins. I surrender my life to Christ and accept Him as Lord. And Father, I believe in faith that in three days He came back to life and He is alive today. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. As you're still praying, I want to challenge you right now this morning. If you just gave your life to Christ, you just surrender yourself to Him. Not just, not just saying words. The words won't do anything if you didn't mean them. But if you were sincere and you have surrendered your life to Jesus Christ this Easter Sunday morning, I want to give you a chance to respond. Did you know in the Bible that everyone that Jesus called, He called publicly. He never called anybody secretly. He said it this way, If you confess me before others, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. So there are no secret Christians in this world. Never has been and never will be. Now I'm not going to have you come down and make a speech. I just want to challenge you to come down and say, Pastor, I surrender myself to Christ today. It may be God is calling you or your family to join with this church. And you want to minister to God here in this place. Or maybe you just want to come down and pray. The grass is soft. You can come and kneel and pray as long as you need to to thank God for sending Christ to die for you. Or maybe just right where you are, say, Lord, I remember. I remember. I will not let this world cause me to forget in all the hustle and bustle of Easter and all the other activities and things to do. I will not forget that Jesus died for me and was resurrected from the dead. Maybe you just want to pray that. If God is leading in your heart right now, this opportunity today is for you. Would you stand as everyone stands and everyone prays? No one's looking around. I'll be here at the front right now as we pray. You come.